Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Welcome back to another exciting episode of 10 American Presidents. Today, I'm thrilled to dive into part four of our exploration into the life and times of Ronald Reagan. Joining me as our narrator is Professor Ewan Morgan, emeritus from University College London. His book, Reagan, American Icon, was named as one of the best politics books in 2016 by The Times. Today, we are taking a closer look at the years 1981 to 1983, a period when America faced its biggest recession since the Great Depression. Before we kick things off, I'd like to take a moment to ask you for your support. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Your feedback means the world to me and helps others to discover the show. And hey, if you're interested in getting more involved, why don't you join our Facebook group? It's a fantastic platform to connect with other fans of the show. Quite simply, go on to Facebook, type in 10 American presidents now here's a little extra treat for you if contemporary u.s politics piques your interest and you want to hear me to discuss the latest news uh, why don't you check out my other podcast mid-atlantic on that show i am joined by a fantastic panel and we delve into uk and us news offering um, diverse perspectives on current events and without any further ado let's jump into part four of ronald reagan This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Mr. Pop. Oh. Is that the only thing we have to fear is fear Four score and seven years ago. When in the course of human events. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not 
Ronald Reagan becomes president in January 1981 and delivers one of the all-time great inaugural addresses. Very few presidential inaugural addresses are remembered in history. To be remembered, you have to have one great line in it, whether it's ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, Kennedy. We have nothing to fear but fear itself, Franklin D. Roosevelt. These United States are confronted with an economic affliction of great proportions. We suffer from the longest and one of the worst sustained inflations in our national history. It distorts our economic decisions, penalizes thrift, and crushes the struggling young and the fixed income elderly alike. Those who do work are denied a fair return for their labor by a tax system which penalizes successful achievement and keeps us from maintaining full productivity. For decades, we have piled deficit upon deficit, mortgaging our future and our children's future for the temporary convenience of the present. To continue this long trend, in this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. From time to time, we've been tempted to believe that society has become too complex, that government by an elite group is superior to government for, by, and of the people. Putting America back to work means putting all Americans back to work. Let us renew our determination, our courage. Can we solve the problems confronting us? Well, the answer is an unequivocal and emphatic yes. On the eve of our struggle for independence, Dr. Joseph Warren, president of the Massachusetts Congress, said to his fellow Americans, our country is in danger, but not to be despaired of. On you depend the fortunes of America. We will again be the exemplar of freedom and a beacon of hope for those who do not now have freedom. Beyond those moments, those monuments to heroism, is the Potomac River, and on the far shore, the sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers. Their lives ended in places called Bellow Wood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Porkchop Hill. Under one such marker lies a young man, Martin Treptow, who left his job in a small town barber shop in 1917 to go to France, there on the Western Front, he was killed, trying to carry a message between battalions under heavy artillery fire. We're told that on his body was found a diary. On the flyleaf, under the heading, My Pledge, he had written these words, America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure, I will fight cheerfully, and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. The crisis we're facing today does not require of us the kind of sacrifice that Martin Treptow and so many thousands of others were called upon to make. It does require, however, our best effort and our willingness to believe in ourselves, to perform great deeds, to believe that together we can and will resolve the problems which now confront us. And after all, 
Why shouldn't we believe that? We are Americans. God bless you and thank you. Now, Reagan's great line was, in the current crisis, government is not the solution to our problems. Government is the problem. In an inaugural address that devoted little attention to foreign affairs, Reagan focused on domestic affairs and the need to reduce the role of government in order to solve America's domestic problems. And this meant cutting taxes, cutting regulations, and cutting government spending. Now, that was a radical agenda that seemed to threaten the New Deal legacy that had been in place for 50 years since Franklin D. Roosevelt's time in office in the 1930s. The Democrats weren't taking him seriously, however. They held control of the House of Representatives. Surely, they thought, he cannot get his agenda past us. He may get it in the Senate, but not the House. And famously, Tip O'Neill paid a courtesy visit to Reagan prior to his inauguration, and he really annoyed Reagan by saying, you're in the big leagues now. And Reagan said, I'd been governor of California and won the election. I thought I was already in the big leagues. Tip O'Neill would soon choke on those words. Within a few months, he was really saying, I'm getting the shit wheeled out of me. Those were his very words. Now, what happened was this. Ronald Reagan pursues a blitzkrieg strategy. Usually, presidents, when they come to office, don't tamper with the budget that budget plan that is the work of the preceding administration. Why? Because it takes a year to build a budget. Ronald Reagan decided he would put a new budget through in effectively 40 days. And his budget team, headed by uh, budget director David Stockman, worked like Trojans to change the budget to meet Ronald Reagan's priorities. And Ronald Reagan's priorities were this the greatest tax cuts in American history in order to kickstart the economy, the greatest domestic spending retrenchment in American history in order to get government off the backs of the people, and the greatest defense expansion since the Korean War in order to renew the Cold War confrontation with the Soviet Union and press on to victory rather than perpetuate the stalemate that had been in place for so long. Now, Ronald Reagan faced a Democratic Congress, but he had a trump card up his sleeve. Critical to the Democratic majority in the House were the Southern Democrats, who became nicknamed the Bow Weevils. And the Southern Democrats saw that Reagan had swept their region in 1980. They were also out of tune with the liberal ascendancy of the National Party, where Northerners like Tip O'Neill dominated. And they decided that they would support Ronald Reagan's initial proposals. But they didn't come cheap. Despite the fact that they were supporting government cutbacks in other areas, demanded pork barrel benefits for their constituencies. For example, 
Representative John Brio of Louisiana got sugar subsidies, which had been written out of the budget, written back in, in order to benefit his farm constituents back home. As he famously remarked, I didn't sell my vote, but I certainly rented it. Now, Ronald Reagan gets the triple whammy. He gets the biggest tax cuts in American history enacted in the Economic Recovery Tax Act of 1981. He gets the largest domestic spending cutbacks enacted in American history in the Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Reconciliation Act of 1981. And he gets the biggest defense increases since the Korean War also enacted. Good morning. These bills that I'm about to sign, this is the budget bill. This is the tax program. But I think they represent a turnaround almost a half a century of a course this country's been on and mark an end to the excessive growth, government bureaucracy and government spending, government taxing. And we're indebted for all of this. I can't speak too highly of the the leadership, Republican leadership in the Congress and of those Democrats who so courageously joined in and made both of these truly bipartisan programs. But I think in reality, the real credit goes to the people of the United States who finally made it plain that they wanted a change and made it clear in Congress and spoke with a more authoritative voice than some of the special interest groups that they wanted these changes in government. This represents $130 billion in savings over the next three years. This represents $750 billion in tax cuts over the next five years. And this is only the beginning. It's also a factor in the willingness of many in Congress to support such a radical agenda. And that is in late March 1981, a deranged young man called John Hinckley attempts to assassinate Reagan. Shots. After the assailant, there are two or three people down on the on the ground. We understand that one Secret Service agent, it may be another Washington policeman, who was injured. We understand also that James Brady, the White House press secretary, was among those injured. Shots were fired, apparently at President Reagan, as he was coming out of the Washington Hilton Hotel this afternoon. The president was not hit. He was pushed into his limousine and immediately taken away to safety. However, three persons were hit. We believe they are two Secret Service agents and the president's press secretary, James Brady. And we do not know the condition of any of the men. At least three men were lying on the ground, according to uh, one dispatch that I'm reading here now, only a few feet from where the president had been standing. Hinckley fires six rounds, one of which hits Ronald Reagan's press secretary, in the head and explodes. Uh, These are devastated bullets that explode on impact once they enter the body. Ronald Reagan is hit by a ricochet from his limousine door where he's been pushed in by his Secret Service agent. Now, 
The Secret Service thinks that Reagan hasn't been seriously hit. They drive back towards the White House, and suddenly they realize that blood gushing from Ronald Reagan's wound, and they change course and go to Walter Reed Hospital. And it just so happens that at Walter Reed Hospital, there's a conference going on of medical specialists in trauma wounds. Basically, basically we have this information. The president was shot once in the left chest. The bullet entered from the left side. He is conscious. He is in stable condition. And that literally is all I can tell you at this time. The president. Off the wires, I understand three people were shot, including Jim Brady, the press secretary. I do not know how serious that wound is. It's a close thing. The press releases afterwards spoke of Reagan joking with the nurses, saying, you know, I hope Nancy doesn't find out about this, and uh, telling the doctors, I hope you're all Republicans. But in actual fact, uh, it could have gone the other way. And a nation breathes a sigh of relief, and Ronald Reagan becomes a wounded commander-in-chief who nearly sacrificed his life for America. And it becomes very difficult to oppose him with the stringency and vehemence that Democrats would have liked to have shown. It didn't actually guarantee the success of his legislative program getting through Congress, but it certainly helped. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Nineteen eighty one. Early into the decade, and things were moving fast. Okay, you just travel plans. I need to be in New York on Monday, LA on Tuesday, New York on Wednesday, LA on Thursday, New York on Friday. Got it. Got it. Pardon me. By the end of this period of the first six months in office, Ronald Reagan is riding high. People are beginning to talk of the Reagan Revolution. Another event reinforces that supposition. The air controllers go on strike for higher pay. The air controllers union demands higher pay. Paradoxically, this union endorsed Reagan in the 1980 election. And now here they are going on strike. But there's a problem. Federal law prohibits strikes by federal employees. And Ronald Reagan 
feels he can't negotiate with them. He therefore gives them two days to go back to work or they will be sacked. Most of the strikers stay out. Some do go back. So you're in a situation that the nation's air communications are now lacking traffic controllers to ensure their safety. Reinforcements are drafted in mainly from the military, and there is no crash as a consequence of uh, faulty air control. So this burnishes Reagan's reputation even more, much to his regret, because many of them were former military personnel. Most of the uh, striking workers are sacked and lose their livelihood. But it testifies to Reagan's strength of character as a leader and his determination to remain true to his word. Had that been the last event of 1981, Ronald Reagan would have been on the top of the crest of a wave. Just at this very moment, the Federal Reserve has reached a decision that it will choke inflation out of the economy through draconian measures. And under the leadership of a Carter-appointed Fed chairman, Paul Volcker, it engages in a monetarist experiment. Now, to explain that, usually when the Federal Reserve wants to attack inflation, it would simply put up interest rates to make it more expensive to borrow money. What it does instead is that it implements a series of measures intended to shrink the money supply. And that money supply shrinkage causes a recession in the United States, the deepest recession since the 1930s, where unemployment would eventually hit 10%, nowhere near the 25% peak uh, of the Great Depression, but the worst unemployment level since the end of the Second World War. The long-awaited economic recovery is still a tiny speck, some would say just a mirage, on the economic horizon. Twelve months ago, the government's main concerns were interest rates and inflation. Today, interest rates and inflation are down. Millions are out of work. The nation is in its worst economic crisis in 50 years, and no one knows when it will end. Getting married in July, I don't even know if I got a job. I feel rotten, but what can you do? Now, this recession throws the Reagan administration economic calculations into chaos. The the Reagan administration has just cut taxes and increased defense spending massively. It still believed it was possible to balance the budget within four years, within that framework. But the recession that hits in late 1981 totally undermines the revenue calculations made by the Office of Management and Budget. And what happens, instead of a gradual closing of the fiscal gap towards a balanced budget in four years' time, the United States, for the first time in its history, its peacetime history in 1982, the budget deficit exceeds $100 billion. Now, that doesn't sound very much today, but it was frightening at the time. 
in fiscal 1983, the very next year, as the effects of the recession really begin to bite, the United States has its first fiscal deficit in excess of $200 billion. The fiscal deficit averages throughout the Reagan era 4.5% of GDP, compared to 2.5% in Carter's last year. So this is the great stigma of Ronald Reagan's presidency. So far as many conservatives are concerned, he dangled before them the prospect of a balanced budget, but instead they've ended up with the worst deficit figures in peacetime history. No democratic president has ever come close to the figures that the Reagan administration had to report. So there's an allure taken off Ronald Reagan and uh, the combination of the rise in the fiscal deficit and the recession knocks a lot of the sheen off his image in 1982. The Democrats in Congress recover their nerve. The Democrats in the House begin to take a much tougher stance against Reagan. O'Neill attacks him as the friend of the rich rather than the friend of the people. The Beau Weevils, the conservative Southern Democrats, begin to reconsider, hey, this guy is maybe not so popular as we thought. Let's distance ourselves uh, from him. And as a consequence, the Reagan revolution in domestic policy is over almost as soon as it's begun. It has an annus mirabilis in 1981, when the world appears to be its oyster. But from 1982 onwards, Ronald Reagan is on the defensive. He's trying to preserve what he achieved in 1981 against a resurgent Democratic Party. And even many Republicans are saying, look, we cannot have budget deficits this big. Senator Bob Dole of Kansas becomes a thorn in Reagan's side by pushing for tax increases in his role as Senate Finance Committee Chairman. So what happens in mid-1982, the Congressional Republicans and the Democrats agree to raise taxes. And they do so as an emergency measure to close the deficit. It's the biggest tax increase in American history in peacetime. For some time, ever since we started planning the 1983 budget for the fiscal year beginning this coming October 1st, there's been a steady drumbeat of quote-unquote reports on what we're supposed to be doing. So I'd like to set the record straight on a few of the things that you might have heard lately. I'm sure you've heard that we're proposing the largest single tax increase in history. The truth is, we're proposing nothing of the kind. And then there's the one that our economic recovery program has failed, so I've abandoned it and turned to increasing taxes instead of trying to reduce federal spending, unquote. Well, don't you believe that one either? Yes, there is a tax bill before the Congress. It is not, however, the greatest single tax increase in history. Possibly it could be called the greatest tax reform in history, but it absolutely does not represent any reversal of policy or philosophy on the part of this administration I'm told by many that this bill is not politically popular, and it may not be. Why then do I support it? I support it because it's right for America. I support it because it's fair. I support it because it will, when combined with our cuts in government spending, reduce interest rates and put more Americans back to work again. 
The measure the Congress is about to vote on, while not perfect in the eyes of any one of us, will bring us closer to the goal of a balanced budget, restored industrial power, and employment for all who want to work. Together, we can reach that goal. But Reagan is determined to protect the personal income tax cuts, which were at the heart of his 1981 tax reduction bill. So he said, I'm prepared to put taxes up on business and corporations and remove the benefits we gave them in the 1981 ERTA, but there is no way I will surrender personal income tax cuts. These are for the future. And it's remarkable because, of course, the personal income tax cuts were to be phased in over three years for most Americans. And Ronald Reagan could have just delayed or rescinded one of those uh, annual tranches. But no, he sticks by it. This is cardinal for him. This is absolutely essential. So that's the first thing that he does in retreat. But he will not retreat on personal taxes and he will not retreat on the defense expansion. So Reagan's goals for the rest of his presidency are to defend the income tax cuts of 1981 and the defense expansion that was planned in the 1981 budget. And he does so. He certainly goes back on uh, tax cuts for business. He soft pedals on cuts in inheritance and estate taxes. And in 1986, he even becomes a tax reformer where he removes some of the tax giveaways that business has enjoyed even under the Democrats for the last 20 years. So Reagan in 1986 evolves from being a tax cutter into a tax reformer. And 31 years later, of course, Donald Trump would claim that his 2017 tax reform was the greatest since 1986. Trump's tax reform was a giveaway to business. Reagan's tax reform was a takeaway from business to preserve the personal income tax cuts that were his number one concern. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.